The following sermon is from New Life Baptist Church, where we exist to see lives transformed by the gospel as we make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Jesus. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at newlifeba.org. Well, how many of you have ever been on a tour of a cave? How many of you either, you know, Western Oklahoma, maybe what are some of the places that y'all have been to cave-wise? Jewel Cave. Okay. Okay. Where? Mammoth Cave. Yeah. Okay. I haven't been to Mammoth Cave, but what, any, any other places that, any other caves that y'all have been to? Okay. West Virginia Cave. There we go. Uh, where, where is it in Colorado? Okay. Okay. Some, something of the winds. <laughs> Carlsbad, right? Yeah. I've been to Carlsbad as well. So, so some of those memories, right? I, I, I've been to, I've probably been to more, but I at least remember most vividly from my childhood going to Alabaster Caverns in Western Oklahoma. If any of you have been there, if not, it's worth a, a travel, I think three hours away, but then also Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico. And so while you're on one of those tours, the cave tours, they're pretty amazing, aren't they? You get to see, see the stalagmites. You get to see the stalactites. Always get those mixed up, which ones go down and which ones go up. Uh, but you also get to see the, the bats, the winding pathways that the erosion has uh, uh, caused, and then also the nice cool breeze throughout the caverns, right? But if you're on a tour, what inevitably happens on every cave tour is that once you get to the bottom, what happens? What does the tour guide do? You turn the lights off, right? And so the, the, the tour guide will turn off all the ambient lighting, and then all of a sudden you are shrouded in darkness, right? Like, it's not just like it's dark. It, it, there is darkness, like the absence of light. And, and when you're in that moment, it's only probably for five or ten seconds, um, hopefully not longer than that. Uh, but, but the darkness, it's disorienting, right? And, and if you were to remain in that darkened state, right, you would be left with a state of hopelessness and despair, right? You're, you're, you're stuck and there, there's no getting out. You'll, you'll be stumbling around trying to find the way out. But everything changes when the tour guide turns the light back on, right? Just a little bit of light is enough to dispel the darkness around you. So hold on to that thought there. The light, it reorients you and it gives you a renewed sense of hope. That you won't be stuck at the bottom of the cave forever. In the light, it guides you back onto the path. Well, our, our passage this morning, Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 14. You, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, you can turn there with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. If you don't have your Bible, Miss Peggy printed out a little, uh, a little thing in the order of service for you to follow along. But this passage, it describes the spiritual condition of our world in terms of light and in terms of darkness. There, there was a time when we all once lived in darkness, right? When we were reveling in the passions of our flesh, when we we're living according to our own desires. And as a result, when we lived in a state of hopelessness, emptiness, despair, and death. But now the Apostle Paul reminds us, you are light in the Lord. And so my main point this morning is this, and it will follow the three points of the sermon. You are light, therefore walk as light, and then call others into the light. You are light, therefore walk as light and call others into the light. 
and I, and I skipped it last week, uh, but this week uh, we're going to do, this is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God, if I remember at the end of uh, my reading. So let, let's read verses 8 through 14. This is the word of the Lord. This is what it says to us today. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we confess our need for you this morning. I confess my need for you this morning. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work and that this sermon would just be a conduit through which you speak to our hearts. I pray that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word, that you would convict our hearts, that you would encourage our wills, and that you would strengthen our hands to live lives that are pleasing unto you lives that walk in the light. We pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. So first this morning, church, not only I, the Apostle Paul wants to remind us that you are light. Read with me verse 8, where Paul says this, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. In other words, following the, the book of Ephesians, at one time you were sons of disobedience, but now you are sons and daughters of God. At one time you were children of wrath, but now you are children of the light. And if we go back a few months, do you remember how Paul described us before Christ in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13? That, that we were at one time separated from Christ. We were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers to the covenants of promise. We had no hope in this world, and we were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Listen, church, we were once darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. And so what the Apostle Paul, what he is communicating to us today, this morning, is that whenever God saves us, our entire nature, our entire identity in life, it changes. Yes, in in other parts of the Bible, Jesus commands us to let our light shine before others by how we live. But listen, we are able to do that only, only because of what of who Jesus has made us to be. You see, in order for, for you to become a Christian, it, it doesn't mean that you say a certain phrase a number of times like in other religions. Or, or that you follow a strict set of codes. Or that maybe you're a Christian, you, you inherited your Christian identity because you were raised in a Christian family. No, in order to become a Christian, the Bible says that something supernatural must take place first, namely that you are born again, that you are made spiritually alive. And when this happens, your entire being, it is transformed. And that's why we say we exist to see lives transformed by 
the gospel because that is the gospel's work in our lives. The gospel, the power of the gospel is to transform us more into the image of Jesus. And so when we become a Christian, the Bible says we become a new creation. And so in other words, there is a distinguishable difference between who we once were apart from Christ and who we now are in Christ. How many of you have heard uh, of the church father and theologian named Augustine? Any, any, any in this room? If you haven't, Augustine, he was a, get my dates right, a fourth century uh, early church father, very influential in the theology of the church. And, but, but prior to his conversion, and, and if you've heard of his book, a famous book, Confessions by St. Augustine, prior to his conversion, he lived a very licentious life full of sexual immorality. And in fact, there were times even when he lived with a prostitute. But, but after he was wondrously sa- wonderfully saved, he, he was walking down a, stro- a street he used to live on, and that prostitute he once lived with saw him. And so she shouted out his name, yet he kept walking. He, he saw her, but he kept walking straight ahead, and she continued shouting after him. And, and she even started running after him, and she said, Augustine, it is I. To which Augustine replied, I know, but it is no longer I. That this is what it means to become a Christian. Once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. This is the drastic change in life that the Apostle Paul is referring to in verse 8. That when your old temptations of sin, or maybe your old acquaintances, when they attempt to persuade you back into the works of darkness... When they come running after you saying, it is I, you declare back to them, I know. But it is no longer I. I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ. He now lives within me. In scripture, light, it is connected to this saving power and activity of God in the world. And so since we know that Jesus, he is the light of the world, he has now brought us, his disciples, to share in his light. Or maybe, maybe to put it another way, because we are in Christ, and, I, and uh, you're going to become masters of that, of that phrase in Christ after the book of Ephesians. Because we are united to him by faith, because what he is is now ours, because we are in Christ, we now have the light of Christ in us. I've said it before, and I'll repeat it as long as I'm your pastor. And it's not because I'm running out of material. Uh, It's because repetition leads to remembrance, right? Repetition leads to remembrance. I heard somebody say one time that it takes uh, 16 times to hear something before we can begin to truly understand it. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, I I know for myself, at least, it takes a lot of times for me to hear something before it sinks in. But this is true that our gospel identity who we now are in Christ, it must precede, come before our gospel living. Before we are called to do something for Jesus, we need to first remember who we are now in Jesus. And so before we seek to shine our lights, to to show our light to the world, we need to remember that we are light in the Lord. We are clothed now in his perfect righteousness. All by his grace. Do you, do you remember, how many of you remember the song, uh, the children's song, This Little Light of Vine? 
Everybody, I, I assume probably most, if not all of you. Right? And it's a great song to remind children that they are called to be witnesses in the world. And I think probably for all of you, the tune is, is going in your mind right now. But, but there's a verse in it that, that is very well-meaning, but theologically inaccurate. It, it goes something like this. Don't let Satan... I'm going to let it shine, right? Listen, it, it, it sounds nice, and it's and it's good remind, reminder to be on the guard against temptation. But listen, the light that is now in you, God's saving power in his activity in your life, it's, it's not like a light fixture that you flip on and you flip off sometimes. No, Paul says you are light in the Lord. This is now your new nature. This is your being. And so the, the enemy, he cannot rob you of what God has already done in you, in his saving work in your life. You are light in the Lord. This is who you are. And so he, Paul begins this passage with a statement of gospel fact. That because of what Jesus has done for us in his life, his death, and his resurrection, church, we are light. Paul, he would put it this way in Colossians 1. He said that, that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And the apostle Peter would say that we have been called out of darkness and now into his marvelous light. And so because we have been transferred out of darkness of this world into the kingdom of light, because we are now light in the Lord, it only makes sense now that the next command we receive from Paul is that we are called to be lights in this world. We are light in the Lord, therefore be light in the world. And that's what Paul tells us in verses 8 through 10, that we are called to walk as light. So let's read verses 8 through 10. We'll walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And so in a word, the Apostle Paul, he is saying this. Live in accordance with who you already are. Live in accordance with who you already are in Christ. And so since we are light in the Lord, since we are the evidence, the display of God's saving work in this world, then let's be his lights in the world. So how exactly do we do that? Well, Paul tells us two ways. First, notice with me, verse 9, that one of the ways we walk as light, walk as children of light, is by bearing the fruit of light. And so what's the first fruit that Paul tells us in verse 9? It's that the fruit that we should be displaying, the fruit of goodness. And so this word translated as good, it carries with it the idea of a life of moral excellence that, that is sacrificially lived out for others. And so to bear the fruit of goodness in your life, it means that you are displaying and you are sharing the goodness of God with others in your life. And if you'll remember with me last week's sermon, I want to connect last week's sermon to this passage here. I want to remind you, church, that before you can display the fruit of goodness in your life, the Lord must first be the good of your life. 
Right? You remember Psalm 16, verse 2. What did David say? I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have what? No good apart from you. And so just a quick refresher and a quick question. Is Jesus, is he your standard, your source, your supplier, and your sum and substance of your good? To bear the fruit of light, to bear the fruit of goodness means that we are first holding fast onto the one who is our good. But secondly, we see that we are called to bear the fruit of righteousness. This carries with it a life of integrity. And so I once heard someone say a definition of integrity, that integrity is when the tongue in your mouth and the tongue of your shoe are pointing in the same direction. Our lives, it is to be marked by integrity and righteousness. And so I saw some of you got a kick of that. That's good. Uh, But this kind of life, it is possible for you because the power of the gospel is at work within you. And so listen, church, because Christ is now our righteousness, since we are now declared in right standing with God because of what Jesus has done for us, Because we are now light and because Christ has given us his righteous nature, we are called now. It only makes sense to bear forth the fruit of righteousness in our lives. Again, we are called to live in accordance with who we are. We are justified. We are righteous before God's sight. Therefore, church, display the fruit of righteousness in your life. The Apostle John, he would say it this way, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. And whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And so listen, because we are children of light, because we are righteous in Christ, we are now called to live lives of righteousness, live lives of right living. So then the third fruit that Paul leads us, tells us to live, and that is the fruit of truth. And so we live in a day and age and a culture and society of pervasive falsehood, right? We, we live in a time where right is called wrong and wrong is called good. And so that's why, church, we must, we must, we must be the bastions of truth in our culture We must declare and we must live by the truth as it is in Jesus. And the way we remain people of the truth is by tethering ourselves to God's word and by letting the truth of God's word dictate and form our worldview. The famous psalm in Psalm 119, your word is what a lamp unto my feet and a light unto our path. And so in our beliefs, in our doings, in our speech, we are to be people of the truth. Not, not living lives of duplicity, but instead living in such a way that is consistent with our identity. Where we let our yes be yes and our no be no. We, we are called to be people who are honest in everything we do and people who speak and who live by the truth. In short, in these three fruits of light, of goodness, of righteousness, and of truth, Paul is just giving us a further exposition of what he called us to in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, 
where he said, therefore, what? Be imitators of God as beloved children. Because God is good. Because he is righteous. And because he is the source of truth. And because we are called to be imitators of him, we are then expected to bear forth the fruit of light in our lives. And so that's the first way we walk in the light is to bear the fruit of light. But notice secondly with me, verse 10, the second way we walk in the light is by pleasing the Lord of light. So let's read verse 10 where Paul says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And so our aim in life should be to please the Lord in all things, not in order to try to make him pleased with us, but we do so because we know that he is already pleased with us. Do, do you remember what, what, what God the Father said after Jesus' baptism, right? When, when, when he went into the water and when he was raised, what, what did God the Father declare over Jesus? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That's right. And so listen, church, follow with me here. Because we are in Christ, because Jesus's righteousness is now our very own righteousness, what was spoken over Jesus after his baptism is declared over to over you this morning, where God the Father is declaring over you because you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. Your father in heaven, he is pleased with you. Do you really believe that this morning? If not, I encourage you to lean into that truth and to grasp that astounding truth of the gospel that for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. And so we don't try to please God in order to become right with him, right? If you remember back to our Wednesday night study, what was that called? That was called works righteousness. We don't live that way. No, we aim to please the Lord in our lives because we are already in right standing with him because we are in Christ. We don't seek to please God to try to earn his love. We seek to please the Lord because we already have his love. And so in light of that truth, and in view of the gospel, we are then called to live a life worthy of our calling, to live a manner of life worthy of the gospel, to spend our lives seeking to please the one who is already pleased with you. So, so practically, what does verse 10, what does that look like? And maybe a better question, how does verse 10 inform the choices you make in life? Right right now, Emily and I, we're in a time where we're teaching our kids life is all about the choices you make, right? Life is all about the choices you make. And so is, I want to ask you, is it the number one criterion in your decision matrix when, you, when you're making decisions in life? Is this going to please the Lord? Is it your heart's desire? Is it your life's ambition to live in such a way that your life is a pleasing aroma unto the Lord? Or maybe are, are your decisions, if you're honest, are they determined by what is most immediately beneficial to you? 
in, in your finances, in your time, in your speech, in, in your work, in your relationships, in your marriage, among your church family, in your leisure, is your singular aim and desire to discern and to do what is most pleasing to your Savior, to the one who died to make you light. Verse 10, it's not necessarily about a checklist of what you are to do. It's more about the disposition of your heart. And so I ask again, church, are, are, are we, and may, may, may we, I'll put it positively, may we seek to live lives that aim and try to discern what is most pleasing unto the Lord. Because listen, brothers and sisters, when we walk with the Lord, In the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. To trust and obey, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let's live lives that aim and desire to please the Lord in all things. One of the key ways that we please the Lord, we'll see in verse 11 through 13, is by renouncing any works of darkness that remain within us. So let's read it real quick. Paul says, take no part in the unfruitful, that's key, unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And so Paul says, don't participate in the unfruitful works of darkness. And notice how Paul contrasts the works of darkness as unfruitful to the, to the fruit of light, which is true and right and good. The, the works of darkness, they're unfruitful because no life can result from the works of darkness, Right? but only death. And so listen, brothers and sisters, do not be deceived. The works of darkness, which Paul said earlier in chapter five, that 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 of sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, filthiness, and foolish talk, and crude joking, these things will only produce death within you. Romans 8, 13, it says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will die live. So so we're not to participate in them, but we're instead to expose the works of darkness. But notice how Paul says we are to expose the evil works of darkness, not by bemoaning them, not by complaining how our country is going down the drain, not by issuing words of condemnation to those who practice these things. Rather, Paul says we are to expose the works of darkness by shining forth the light of Jesus Christ in this world. Read with me verse 13. Paul says, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And and so first and foremost, we do need to speak truth and call these sins for what they are. Yes, they are shameful. But then we need to expose these sins to the light, bring them into the light. And so listen, if you find yourself engaged in any of these sins, if you're doing the opposite of what the Apostle Paul is saying, if you are taking part in the works of darkness this morning, you need to bring them into the light. 
As long as you try to hide them in the darkness, you will continue to live in shame. But when you bring them into the light, when you repent of these sins and when you confess them to your brothers and sisters, when you bring them into the light, the Bible says that your soul will be purified by the light. First John 1 John 1.6, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. His son cleanses us from all sin. And so maybe some of you on this Lord's Supper morning have this decision to make. And maybe it's not a sin that was listed in this passage, but maybe it's another sin that you know, you know you're playing in. You know you're engaging with. You have this decision to make this morning. Will I walk in the light or will I still try to hide my sin in the darkness? Will I experience the peace and the joy of forgiveness or will I remain in the shame of my sin? I want to remind you this morning, you are light, church. Therefore, walk in the light. Finally, we are called not only to, we're not only light, we're not only called to walk in the light. But the Apostle Paul in verse 14, he also calls us to call others into the light. And and we do this again by two ways. First, we're called to shine our light before others. Note that first part of verse 14. For anything that becomes visible is light. And I think this is common sense, but light is always more powerful than darkness, isn't it? But what is the only way that light can overpower the darkness? It's got to shine, right? Light has to shine to dispel darkness. Whenever light shines, it will dispel darkness. But the prerequisite, church, is that it must shine. One commentator said this, that when we are living in obedience to God, that fact in itself will be a testimony against wrong. And so when those around us see us helping others rather than exploiting others, when they hear us talking with purity instead of profanity, and when they observe us speaking truthfully rather than deceitfully, our example will itself be a rebuke of selfishness, unwholesome talk, and falsehood. We are to call others into the light by how we live. That's what Jesus said. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. But secondly, we are, called, we are to call people into the light by sharing with them the light of the world. No one will be saved by your way of living alone, right? There is, there is a... St. Francis of Assisi, he said, preach the gospel and use words only if necessary, something like that. And and that's, again, well-meaning, but it's completely contrary to what Jesus has told us. We are to use our words to preach the gospel. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus as Lord. Yes, they may experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit by how we live. But listen, the only church, the only way someone can be saved is by hearing and by believing in the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Which means that we must use words to share the gospel with others. And then we must call people to respond to this gospel. Notice how Paul calls people to respond when he says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. And so once you are confronted to the reality that you are a sinner engaged in the works of darkness, 
when you, are, when you realize you are still dead in your sins, there are two ways to respond. You can run from Jesus deeper into your darkness, or you can run to Jesus and into the light. And so if that would maybe describe you this morning, or maybe you have family or friends whom this describes, then, then keep in mind how to share the gospel. Encourage them, run to Jesus. If you have realized that you're a sinner, still living in darkness with everything that is within me, I want to encourage you, run to Jesus this morning for salvation. Hear the word of the Lord. If you run to Jesus, what does it say? Christ might shine on you. Is that what it says, church? No, it says Christ will shine on you. And so what is the gospel? What is the gospel? The gospel, it is the good news that even though we have sinned against God and are deserving of his punishment, Jesus came into this world to save us from our sins by dying on the cross and rising from the dead so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life. If you've yet to trust in Jesus, maybe, maybe, maybe you've been in church your whole life, yet you are still walking in the works of darkness. Repent and trust in Jesus this morning for salvation. Come out of darkness and make Jesus, your light and Lord. But maybe you would say, you know, I know I am a Christian. But I know also that I've been playing in the darkness lately. Maybe you're spiritually alive, but lately you've been making your home in the graveyard. And so if that is you this morning, hear the word of the Lord. Awake, O sleeper. Awake from your delusion of partaking in the darkness. Awake, a sleeper and arise from among the dead. Don't make your home any longer in the graveyard. Repent and run to Jesus. For if you do, you will hear the same promise God has spoken to you. Christ, he will shine on you. Listen, church, if you find yourself living in sin, this truth reigns, should reign home for you, that Jesus, he will have you back if you return to him. I'll end by sharing the familiar parable of the prodigal son, right? We, we know, right, that the son, he demanded his inheritance and he goes and he squanders it in a faraway land. And then he comes to his senses, right? He comes to his, sense, his senses. And what does he say? He says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your servants. And so he rehearses his lines, right? He gets his outline uh, figured out and he starts going to his father. But what does it say? It says, when his son was yet a long way off, what? The father saw him. And church, listen, what did the father do? He ran after the son. And so Jesus does with you this morning. If you find yourself Engage, playing in, making your home in the graveyard. Listen, return to Jesus, because when you do, you will see that Jesus, he's already been running after you. And so let us, let us, let us remember we are light in the Lord. And therefore, may we walk in the light and may we also call others into the light. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you have any questions or if we can serve you in any way, please connect with us at newlifeba.org.